We are <coughs> presently walking through the letter to the Hebrews. And three weeks ago, I mentioned to you that the author is writing the letter to a Jewish Christian audience whose faith in Christ was waning due to persecution, <coughs> cultural pressures, and the delay of Christ's return. Many inside and outside of the church were encouraging the followers of Christ to turn back to Judaism. And as a rebuttal to those voices, the author is reminding his audience that Jesus Christ is better than anything Judaism has to offer. Jesus Christ is better than anything that the world might offer. The first week we saw that Jesus is better than the angels. The second week we saw that Jesus is better than other religions attempt to provide salvation. Last week, we saw that Jesus is better than Moses and provides rest for all those who profess faith in him. Now, this morning, we are looking at chapters 4, verses 14 through chapter 5, verses 10. And from these verses, I want us to consider two things. And the first is, Jesus is our great high priest. And then secondly, Jesus provides a model for our ministry today. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for the sunshine, for the cool breeze. We're grateful just to be able to be here together and worship. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come. That you would illuminate your word and that it would transform our hearts and our minds. To be more like you, Jesus. And we pray this in your powerful name. Amen. So I want to encourage you to open your bulletins or you can open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. And the first thing that I want us to look at is that Jesus is the great high priest. Now in the ancient Near East, the idea of a human priest interceding on behalf of the people was a widely accepted practice. In the Old Testament, God had established a system of sacrifices mediated by high priests on behalf of the people. But in our Western and very individualized world, this practice is far less familiar. And so I was trying to think this week about what is a similar thing that we experience here. And the closest thing that I could come to, uh, to priests representing us, before a judge was our judicial system. And I found that out the hard way myself. When I was in college, uh, I was coming down Holden Avenue. And as you guys in Greensboro know, it's 35 miles an hour. And there's a little hill that you come down. And I was jamming out to Amy Grant. And much to my chagrin, I looked in my rearview mirror and there were blue lights flashing. I pulled over and the officer informed me that I was going 44 in a 35 mile an hour speed zone. He was very nice, polite, and even smiled as he handed me uh, my ticket. Now, my friends told me to hire a lawyer to represent me before the judge. But I was stubborn and I thought I could handle it on my own. Long story short, I paid the fine and then I also had to pay a higher premium on my insurance a much, much higher premium for the next three years. 
So fast forward six years later, I got pulled over again for speeding. I did not learn. Uh, But this time, I did learn from my past mistake. And instead of trying to go it alone and plead my case before a judge, I hired a lawyer to represent me. And because he was familiar with the system, the law, and the judge, he was able to advocate on my behalf. He got my ticket reduced, so I only had to pay a fine, and there were no points on my driver's license, which meant no higher insurance premiums. I needed a representative to plead my case before a judge. And if I needed a representative to plead my case before a judge for a speeding ticket, how much more do I or we need a representative to plead our case in regard to all of our sins that we've committed before a holy God and judge. The author of Hebrews says to us this morning that we have a perfect representative. We have a great high priest who is greater than any lawyers, no offense to lawyers, and greater than any Israelite high priest. We have Jesus Christ. And so as you look at verses 14 through 16, the author really wants to highlight how incredible this high priest Jesus is. And he provides for us three ways in which Jesus as our high priest works on our behalf. The first of those is that Jesus, he intercedes on our behalf for all eternity. Look at verse 14. The author tells us that we have a high priest who is passed through the heavens. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, there's two interesting phrases here in this verse. The first is, who passed through the heavens. Now, this phrase has been misinterpreted by some to mean that Jesus' presence with God is only temporary. But if you look at the second phrase, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that indicates that Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus has access to and an audience in God's heavenly temple forever and ever and ever. Therefore, the author is telling us in this verse that unlike the earthly high priest who entered an earthly temple once a year to intercede on our behalf, Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And He intercedes on our behalf always. Jesus Christ is constantly representing us to the Father. Jesus Christ is always pleading our case with God. Jesus, like in the play Hamilton, is not only in the room where it happened, he is always in the room where everything happens. The good news for us this morning is that Jesus Christ always has an audience with God the Father. And he is always pleading our case before him. Dr. Kruger, an RTS professor, speaking of this verse, says it this way. When it comes to eternal matters, we cannot rely on ourselves or others. 
But what we can rely on is that Jesus Christ, our advocate, pleads on our behalf and brings our concerns to the Heavenly Father. Therefore, we need to remember that Jesus makes it possible for us to now be in the room where it happens. Jesus intercedes for us. Therefore, as the author states, let us hold fast to our confession. The author here is pleading to us saying, don't let go. As Jim mentioned last week. Please don't willfully rebel against God and let unbelief lead you astray, but instead remain steadfast in your faith, remembering that Jesus is on our side and he is always talking to the father on our behalf. And so the first thing that we see about Jesus as our great high priest is that he intercedes for us. The second thing we see from our text is that the author tells us that we have a high priest who sympathizes with us. Look at verse 15. The author writes, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The wealthy and powerful in our world can, to some degree, shield themselves from the suffering and pain. But Jesus, who possessed all the resources of heaven and earth, he didn't grasp power, nor did he use his resources to shield himself from suffering. But instead, he embraced weaknesses and pain so he might be able to more fully sympathize with us in our humanity. Jesus knows what it feels like to be accused of saying things that he didn't say. Don't we also Haven't we been accused of saying things that we haven't said? Jesus was bullied and he knows the pain of being mocked and ridiculed. Jesus knows the pain of being betrayed by his own Judas. Jesus knows the pain of being left in the garden of Gethsemane and weeping while the disciples slept. Jesus knows the pain of physical torture. The truth is we have a high priest who sees us, who gets us. He has compassion for us in our pain and suffering because Jesus has suffered everything that we have suffered. He has felt every heartache that we have felt. And so this morning, I'm not sure what pain you're holding or what trial you're enduring, but what I do know is that you are not alone. The author of Hebrews says you have a high priest who has suffered, and as a result, he sympathizes with you. But not only does he sympathize with us in our pain and our suffering, the author goes on to tell us that Jesus sympathizes with us because he's been tempted as we are. I think most of us are familiar with Jesus' time in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights as he was tempted by Satan. Jesus was tempted to bow to the idol of comfort as Satan offered him food. Jesus was tempted to bow to the idol of power as Satan offered him all the kingdoms and wealth. Jesus was tempted to bow to the idol of approval. And yes, Jesus was also tempted sexually. The author says that Jesus was tempted as we are, 
Which means in every way that you and I are tempted, Jesus too was tempted. And therefore, he understands what we are going through. He understands the fight with Satan in the world that we face. It's so easy when we're facing any given temptation to feel like we're the only ones who struggle with that particular temptation. But in our passage this morning, the author tells us that we have a high priest who understands us, who offers compassion, and who sees us. And so the first thing we see is that we have a high priest who intercedes. Secondly, the author tells us that we have a high priest that sympathizes with us. And thirdly, we see that this great high priest, he saves us from our sin. In Genesis, we read that God created man and woman, and they were perfect. But as we read on in Genesis, we learn that Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, and as a result, sin entered into our world, and our relationship with God was shattered. But in an effort to bring restoration, God established a system where high priests would make sacrifices with animals. But since the only way our sin could be fully atoned for was through a perfect human coming to earth. What did God do but to send his only son? And in verse 15, we see that Jesus suffered greatly and he was tempted as we are. But the one phrase that is foundational to our faith is Jesus was without sin. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human, was tempted in every way that we are. And he suffered greatly, even to the point of death on the cross, and yet is without sin. And Jesus, the perfect man, died so that you and I might be saved. We try to alleviate our guilt and sin through good works or by being nice. But we serve a holy God. And the only thing that satisfies his holiness is a perfect sacrifice. And the author tells us that Jesus Christ is our high priest and he is that perfect sacrifice. Through his death and resurrection, not only has he paid our debt in full, Jesus's righteousness has been imputed on us, those of us who profess faith in him. So when we stand face to face with God on judgment day, we stand not on our own merits, but rather Jesus Christ, he wraps himself around us and he protects us from God's holy gaze so that we might spend eternity with him. The truth is we have a high priest who saves us from our sin. So therefore, as the author says in verse 16, throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace. He ate with them. He slept. He walked with them. He played with them. He laughed with them. He cried with them. He practiced what we call in ministry is the ministry of presence. Simply showing up and being with people. One of my favorite movies is Lars and the Real Girl. And towards the end of the movie, there is such a beautiful scene where a group of women from the town have gathered in Lars's home because his make-believe girlfriend is dying. They offer him casseroles, and he sits down with them, and he asks if he should be doing anything. And they look at him and say, no, 
You just eat. We came over here to sit. That's what people do when tragedy hits. We just come over and sit. We don't have to know what to say when people are struggling and suffering. We don't really need to do anything. All we need to do is show up and be with them. We need to show up and sit with them. We need to just offer ourselves and be present with them. Because as we show up, God is in us and God brings healing and hope to those who are suffering. And so I wonder, how might God be calling you to the ministry of presence with others? Who might he be nudging you even today, this afternoon, to go and spend time with? To not give answers, to not teach, to not explain, but just to go and sit with and be with. Jesus, the great high priest, became human and he dwelt among us. He was present with us and he's teaching us in ministry. We, too, are called to be present with others. The second thing we see about how to do ministry, Jesus shows us that as priests, we are to serve others with a humble confidence. Jesus, he could have easily appointed himself to serve as a high priest. He was fully God and fully man. But just as human priests are called, our text tells us that Jesus did not appoint himself but instead, he was called by his father to be a priest. Likewise, God has called every one of us to serve as a priest in your different spheres of influence. And in an age when so many in ministry are self-exalting and seeking attention, it's so important for us to remember that it is God who appointed us. He is the one who's called us to serve. And he is also the one, Jesus Christ, who subjected himself to suffering, who subjected himself in the Garden of Gethsemane to God's will. He humbled himself. And therefore, knowing that he was called by God and he subjected himself to his will, we can minister to others with a humble confidence. Humility is so needed in our world today. And he is calling us to serve one another in humility. And so I wonder what would it look like for you to move toward those around you with humble confidence. With the gifts that God has given you. How might God be calling you to humble yourselves before your brothers and sisters today and serve them? One of the things that I love about Wendy Morrow, and I've known her for 30 years, is anytime she comes and presents something to me or to the staff, she always says, I'm coming with open hands. I'm submitting this to you. You don't have to do it. You don't have to even consider it. I'm just bringing it to you. She comes with this humility of confidence, confident enough to come, but a humbleness of saying, here, if it's meant to grow, then it will grow. If it's not, it won't. 
Jesus is calling us to minister with the same humble confidence. C.S. Lewis writes, Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And so, as priest, Jesus is modeling for us and he's calling us to be present with one another. He's calling us to move toward one another with humble confidence. And then lastly, Jesus is telling us and showing us that as priests, we are to be wounded healers. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And it was through his suffering that he was ultimately healed. Likewise, it's helpful for us to see that our suffering not only is used to grow us in our faith in God, it also provides the bridge through which we can identify with and offer healing to other people's wounds and suffering. Within a week of receiving my prostate cancer diagnosis, I received a text from Jim Cyphers inviting me to go to lunch. I really had no idea why Jim, out of the blue, was inviting me to lunch, but I went to Stamey's with him. And as we sat, he told me that he too had been diagnosed with prostate cancer three years prior. And when he had heard about my diagnosis, he wanted to reach out to me. I can't really remember many things about that lunch. But the one thing that I found great comfort in was that I was in the presence of someone who had also suffered from the same disease. And over the past four years, I've kind of marked the journey every six months. Jim and I eat lunch after every six-month PSA test so that we can remind each other and love one another. Jim is truly a wounded healer. And he's been an incredible source of comfort and encouragement and healing in my own heart. We too often want to quickly move past our suffering. And it's tempting to be angry with God for allowing wounds to come into our lives. But I've learned that wounds and suffering not only provide a path for my own growth and obedience, but they also provide a means in which God shows up and brings healing and then allows me and allows us to be a wounded healer with one another. And so what would it look like for you to reframe some of the wounds and suffering that you've endured? To not look at them as a curse, but to look at them as a gift. And I would encourage you to see yourself not simply as wounded and healed, but as a wounded healer. Knowing that your suffering truly is a bridge to others and their walks with Christ. In First Peter, Peter tells us that we are a kingdom of priests. Just like we have this great high priest, Jesus Christ, who intercedes for us, who saves us, who sympathizes with us, we have a great high priest 
that met all the qualifications of a human priest and even exceeded it. And he is the model of ministry for us. And ministry is not complicated. It's literally just showing up and being with one another, crying with one another, laughing with one another, being present with one another. And we do that not with pride or thinking we have the answers that we can fix and heal others, but we do it with humility, a humble confidence, the same humility that Jesus possessed as he dwells in us. We move toward one another with that same humble confidence. And as we are wounded and healed, we have the privilege of then now being able to go to Stamies and sit across from others and meet them in their suffering and love them there. Even if you didn't suffer cancer, you can be a wounded healer in my life just by being present, just by listening. Just by holding me in my anxiety every six months when I have my PSA test. That is what God is calling us. And I'm so excited. The pandemic seems to be coming to an end. And now we can actually be present with one another and don't have to Zoom and FaceTime with one another. Now we can meet and and hold one another and hug one another. Now we can move toward one another with humility. And we can be the wounded healer that God is calling us to be with one another, with our neighbors, with our families, with our classmates, with our coworkers, with the strangers that God brings across our paths. Because every one of you is a priest. Every one of you is called to the priesthood. Not just me, not Daniel, not the elders, not the deacons only, not Betsy, not Colin, 